Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Children going to school hungry in this country is flabbergasting. We're in Washington, D.C. today, and we've got three guests instead of two. One of my guests, George Jones, from Bread for the City, working at this in the community since 1996, serving all kinds of families with all kinds of needs. George, we're thrilled that you're here, and I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to tell us a little bit more about your work, but thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Spike Mendelson, who I've just met for the first time, an extraordinary restaurateur in this city with three restaurants, Bernays, uh, We the Pizza, and Good Stuff Eatery. Okay. And um, the best part of Spike being here, one of the best parts, is he's having two pizzas <laughs> delivered here in a few minutes. <laughs> so you might hear us chewing. And uh, special guest, my co-founder at Share Strength, my sister, Debbie Shore. Glad you're here, Deb. Glad to be here. Thanks. Um, so there's a lot of things that we want to talk about, and I'm going to ask you each to tell us a little bit about how you kind of got to do what you're doing. George, I always feel like you see it from a from a really special perspective of working with so many individuals who um, have needs of different kinds that most of America don't see. Tell us about Bread for the City. Tell us about your role there, and mostly tell us about what's going on in the community at, at this particular time. Okay. Yeah, so I've been at Bread for 21 years now. It's a but it's an agency that's been serving in Washington, D.C. for 42 years. Um, we provide food, clothing, medical, legal, social services, and we do a lot of advocacy work on behalf of thousands of families living on low incomes here in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have a community center in northwest D.C. on 7th Street, 7th and P. Uh, and we have a community center in southeast D.C. at uh, 17th and Good Hope. And if you had to generalize, a family on low income is a family taking home, like, what kind That's of That's a good income? question. The average income, you wouldn't believe this, but the average income for a family that bred for the city sees is less than $7,000 a year. We're talking about people who are largely on fixed incomes. We've got Family some with kids? Good kids. All, I mean, obviously, it's an average. And so we've got, we, we've got about 8,000 families we serve a given, in a given month. Um, and probably 40% of those families have dependent children in the families. There are plenty of them are single, they're disabled, they're elderly. So the families sort of are both families of one and families. Probably the average family with kids has about three kids per family. Uh, less than $7,000 a year. I mean, how do you? So we're talking I, about I people with part-time jobs. Oh, exactly. In fact, yeah. one of the, the stories I always tell is people sometimes uh, donors want to volunteer, and they say, hey, maybe you know, I'm good in finances. I can come and help with budgeting classes. And I tell them sort of tongue-in-cheek, I say, you know, if we if families are living off seven thousand dollars a year, they probably should be telling us how to budget because yeah. Yeah. I, it's really hard to figure out how that works. But it is the average income, which is of course why Bear for the City's programs um, are really designed to supplement folks who are living off of those low incomes. Well, I'm guessing they they almost literally couldn't survive without Bread for the City. I think that's right. It's a safety net. You know, we've got two prongs to our approaches. One is the safety net services, the things that are really direct services, the delivery of of food. Now we give a five day supply of groceries to families every month, um, free clothing, um, free legal services, free health care services, all of our services are free. And so um, 
so, you know, there's that real sort of income supplement to it. But then the advocacy work we're doing, which is more and more important, is trying to fix sort of systems that these folks in, you know, interact with, trying to sustain programs like the TANF program here in Washington, D.C. Um, TANF being, being uh, the uh, temporary, temporary assistance, assistance for, for needy, needy families. families. Exactly. And for the affordable housing crisis, which, of course, is the real, it's really the tail that's wagging uh, the dog right now in, in district when you talk about poverty. It is the thing that we really try to, we're really trying to tackle is how do you, solve this affordable housing crisis in D.C. Um, and Spike, you're not only an incredible chef and restaurateur, but you're actually very involved in the community and particularly in food policy as well. You chair the D.C. Food Policy Council. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, both in terms of how you ended up being such a successful restaurateur, but then also how did you get into these food issues and how do, how do those go together? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I come from a, you know, my background, you know, uh, is the, from a restaurant family. I grew up in the restaurant business. My uh, my parents, you know, always, ha- you know, cooked at home and and they ran restaurants. And my, where? What, what part? In, of in Montreal. I'm from Montreal. Yeah, oh, Montreal. So, yeah, so I'm a big Greek family in Montreal in the restaurant business. My grandfather had a ton of restaurants. Our cousins had restaurants. You, just a picture like your yeah. typical Greek family in the restaurant business, you know, so... That's kind of where I learned the the you know the the business at a young age. I was just kind of you know into it. But um, you know the the funny part is is growing up. You know my parents moved to Florida. They bought a restaurant. I worked in it. I you know I used to wash dishes and clean the hoods. I used to do all the nitty gritty. And uh, you know the the being a chef wasn't really celebrated back then. Like in 1995, you know I wasn't really. We remember those days. Yeah, like yeah. I, I wasn't you know I wasn't you know uh, begging my parents to send me to culinary schools to become a a chef so I can, you know, work holidays and, and, you know, weekend nights and all, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I eventually got kind of inspired and, and figured out that, you know, I, I knew a lot of the business. So I decided to go to culinary school. My grandfather actually had, uh, was passing away from cancer and I had to take care of my parents' restaurant. They asked me, can you, can you come take care of the restaurant? They were going to go to, uh, Montreal to take care of him. And, it's it's then when I was I think I was around 18 years old I I've kind of got inspired and then came back to the restaurant and they saw a new menu they saw like you know a very clean uh, situation and they told me if you stick around we'll send you to culinary school so uh, you know that's what I did I stuck around for another year went to culinary school and that's kind of where uh, I got inspired uh, about the business because I I you know I was with other people that had never been drawn to food you know the interesting part to me is like other people that didn't grow up with food didn't have such an understanding and I grew up in, with food around me you know everywhere and I had a really great understanding of you know even though I wasn't a professional chef I knew how to cook something I knew where something came from so I got inspired and that, that kind of set the the course for the rest of my life and uh, you know we've we've ran a, a bunch of restaurants with my family we moved to DC my sister kind of found the locations on Capitol Hill and that paired up with uh, Top Chef and all the amazing marketing and publicity right. you can get from that show. Uh, we had a great launch in D.C. here. We never knew that we were going to be such a great success from day one. But one thing led to another. And uh, it's only, you know, I was, I'm that guy that kind of has moved around everywhere. You know, I've lived all over the country. I've cooked for all sorts of different chefs, put myself in some really uh, crazy situations at, at times. Uh, and I never really had a sense of community because I was kind of, you know, that guy that just flew around everywhere and uh it was not till i moved to dc and it was 2008 that i i really kind of um you know we opened the restaurant i got such great support that i felt like i need to give back a little bit and that's kind of when i started getting involved with community work um and now you're chair of the uh, yeah the so, dc the food policy council yeah you know I, what's you that know, entail 
that in, that entails a lot. I mean, a lot of those questions are to be answered. What you know, moving forward. But what we found is, you know, I never really attached myself to one kind of. Uh, uh, you know, charity throughout my career. I was always just kind of taking my time. And, you know, when I sat down with the mayor, she offered me a position on, on the Food Policy Council. Um, and really, actually, uh, Council Member uh, Mary Che wrote, wrote the legislation. And she got inspired by one of the community meetings that she had that we need, like, something to govern all the food policy that's happening in, in, in D.C. Not, not govern, but actually support it and bring it all together so people can kind of communicate and then have effective change with the support of the government. So the, the idea is, is that we're not here to reinvent the, the wheel as far as the Food Policy Council. We're, we're here to meet like people like, like yourself and, and other groups like, you know, D.C. Central Kitchen or D.C. Greens or Martha's Table. And we want all this, these great people at this table just talking these topics and then letting us, the council, know what kind of pieces of legislation we can change mm-hmm. to make our food policy even even work for us better here in the city. I'd say one of the things that we've learned over the last four years, certainly Debbie and I, but I think probably all four of us, is that food is really connected to everything. Yes. It's connected to our health. It's connected to our educational ability. It's connected ultimately to our economic competitiveness. Um, George, what role does it play in the families that, that you serve? And tell us a little bit about some sure. of those families. So, like you said, I, I couldn't say it better, Billy. This connectedness between food and income and jobs. That's one of the things that I think Brad's discovered years ago is that all of these things fit together and and you can't, it, it's, it's tough to attack any of those challenges without sort of thinking about them holistically. But, you know, the typical family, Brad, <clears throat> probably, particularly with dependent children as a family of three, oftentimes a single parent. Um, who is either working part-time or on a fixed income and trying to live off of, um, you know, the SNAP program, the using some, some of the public entitlement programs, and using Bread for the City to supplement that. And we, as I said earlier, we give them a five-day supply of groceries. They probably get, you know, two or three weeks' worth of food stamps or SNAP, if you will, um, to try to make ends meet. So they're stitching it all they're together, stitching together to, to and make that, it work. And that really is a, a good way to put it. They're stitching it together, and bread is sort of there. Again, I, I, I reiterate that the way we think about it is, you, you know, the immediate challenge is how do you help people make ends meet who are living on these low incomes, who have live in food deserts, who have little access to any sort of discretionary mm-hmm. funds. Uh, bread sort of provides that on a day-to-day basis, and then we try to work with policymakers to figure out exactly what we can do to strengthen systems and uh, ensure that people can access better public services to support them too. The other thing, Billy, that I think is, that I wanted to lift up is, uh, I know you guys have been champions for childhood hunger, uh, you know, for the last 30 years. Uh, And uh, I I was a kid uh, of the 60s, and believe it or not, I I remember getting, you know, summer lunches and free breakfast. I came from that environment, from low-income community. Those programs remain important. And I guess as we talked about the new administration, we need to make sure that those programs aren't threatened in any way because they are vital for kids who whose families are struggling to make sure they can have. And some, as you, I've heard you say before, sometimes the, the lunch meal is the be, is the most That's reliable right. meal that these kids That's get. That's right. And so. That's right. And there's been bipartisan support sure. for them. Sure. Uh, well, you're listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. I'm here with my sister and co-founder at Share Strength, Debbie Shore. And... Um, Yes. Well, I, I just I have one question, and it's for Spike. I, I'm just curious uh, if you could speak a little bit to the uh, dynamic of working with your sister, since I work with my brother for <laughs> all of my adult life, uh. and how that works with you. 
She lines, she sets them up. I knock them out of the park. That's okay. pretty much happens. You, <laughs> no. uh, you know the dynamic with my sister. It's great. I mean, it's um, you know, listen, it's it's. It, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, uh, it, it's it's been great to. You know, we know each other very well. We've always been kind of. Uh, you know, there's a great picture of us that you know when we were young and we had our own lemonade stand and yeah, nice. and it's very typical of, of what you see today. Our working relationship is where she's. She's got the you know the cash register and collecting the money and sitting and that, and I'm in the background with the boombox right you know and, and kind of selling lemonade you know it's been great and she, she's the one that's really driven me to get a lot more involved in community and to get to involved with, with care which is like a you know a inter- international program that yeah. I work with and uh, a great support system you know it's great great to work with your siblings so. How about you guys? So, well, we've been at it 32 years, so you've got even probably some catching that. up to do. Even, even before that. Yeah, but, and um, you survived it all. There's, there is hope then. We do pretty we do. well. The, the only problem we really have is sometimes we, we get giggles, and like in an important meeting. Yeah. And, and it just can't be stopped. Yeah. It, it is a very bizarre little funny bone that once it gets triggered. Don't, don't even bring it up. No, I don't feel it happening to no, me, so I'm okay. Good. Yeah. That's about the only problem we have. Good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, – the importance of the voices that we bring to our work because I feel like so many of the people that we all try to serve uh, are not only vulnerable but voiceless and and we have an opportunity to be that voice. Spike, when you were on Top Chef, all of a sudden you became somebody whose you know, voice people voice. wanted to hear. Yes. has a voice. And I'm really interested in how you've used that uh, because you're not only involved in things like the Food Policy Council, but you were mentioning, I think you're a special ambassador for CARE yes. internationally. Um, so how do you use that voice? And then, George, I want to also hear about how do you, you know, not only do direct service for people, but represent them in sure. places where policies are made? Well, you know, I, I uh, you know, specifically speaking for chefs and, uh, I mean, really anybody, but for in my industry, you know, uh, for chefs is, you know, we come from, you know, we come from a, a culture that used to not really respect our voice at all, right? If you think about it, we used to be locked up in the kitchen. We were allowed to come into the dining room and, and you just see how our industry has evolved. And I'm personally very fortunate for that. And uh, I, I think the cool thing about a chef is that we do know the system, right? We do know, you know, for the most part, we know where the, you know, our we know our farmers. We have relationships with our farmers. We know everything that they go through to grow their food, to operate, to support for their families. We accept food in our restaurants. We have to prepare food. We have to store food. We have to prep food. We have to serve food properly. Uh, we have to make sure like our portion control is good and no food waste is happening. So for me, my voice is, as far as food advocacy, I have a very comfortable voice because I really have a great relationship with food. And I think that's kind of where chefs can fit, fit in to drive this, you know, uh, you know, this food policy that we've had. You see Tom Calicchio and his fight with GMOs. You see uh, Michel Nishan and all the great work that he's been doing with Wholesome Wave. And GMOs being gemet- genetically modified organism food. Organisms, yeah. yes. Yeah. Those things. A, a fancy word for something that's, you know, is, is just, you know, growing more food for people that need it. Um, and, and, for me, it's been it's been an honor to kind of represent food and and reach out to communities and you know go into the schools and meet, meet children and families that are having troubles and uh, on how to cook something or you know how to use this vegetable that they've never used before. You know, you'd be surprised how a, a lot of the things that are happening in our systems are really small little adjustments that we have to make and small little learning curves that people have to realize to make a really great impact. And, you know, I know we have a new administration and I think people are very wary, but 
when you're doing work for the people, I don't think you get sidetracked. And I don't think you get, you know, I, I, I don't, that's indestructible. Do you know what I mean? When you're doing, you know, food for the work for the people and it's around around a food and it's all about survival, I feel that will, will overcome anything, any type of hurdles that are in our way. And I think we've seen us, we've seen, such success in the last 10 years. Let's just drop it down to 10 years yeah. in the food systems, but we have to keep on doing more and we have to, you know, have a, a, a bigger voice. And I only think, you know, the more people are a little bit worried, I think the, the we, we will rise and we will like really, really overcome. So yeah. uh, as we finish, let me just ask you each um, what's next for you. You've both been incredibly successful. I'm so inspired just by this conversation, knowing what both of you are, are doing in your own spheres. How do you think about what comes next for you? Um, well, I've, I, the big project in, on my hand is that we're looking to build a thirty thousand, new thirty thousand square foot facility, out in Southeast DC, where not only will we have the food and the clothing that we've historically provided out there, but we'll have a large uh, medical practice there uh-huh. that will sort of mirror what we do in Northwest. So that's a big thing. I'm really excited about the work I do at Bread. One of my board members asked me today, "Are you looking to leave?" No, this is where I want to be. But this this big project is a twenty million dollar expansion, so I'll have my hands full for the next Good. twenty. That's, that's exciting. This is where God. we need you to be. That's right. Yeah, you stick um, around. How about you, Spike? Um, you know, I I just you know I feel like I'm just beginning with the Food Policy Council and my, and my work in the food space. So uh, I, I'm very passionate about food waste. Also, I, I actually really believe that we can have a really impactful change on the system by by kind of fixing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to push, push everything. You know, we need, we need, uh, if we, you know, we, like I said, we have, we, we handle a little bit of everything in the city. We need more jobs in Ward 7 and 8 here in DC. We need more chefs to go up on restaurants in these, these areas and maybe give them more incentives. And we need more grocers, uh, you know, in, in, in food deserts to, to make a difference as well. So I just want to continue the good work, continue the support. Talk to all sorts of people, you know, uh, as well, and 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 figure it out. So how could we not have met after all these years? I know, it's well, crazy. My it's sister, al- my never... sister, always gets the last word. So Ooh, Ooh, yes. So uh, uh, you're, you're not going anywhere, right? You're you're staying. My no, sister also also always gets the last too. word. I'm, look, just, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Micheline I, through the window here. I, you know, since I'm definitely one of the older staff now, chair of strength. Every I don't know, maybe every couple months, someone will say to me. So, Deb, um, you still gonna you know keep working five days a week? I'm like, you know, I'm as energetic as I ever was. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so no, I, um, you know, share strength keeps changing so much. What's kept me there really all these years, uh, Billy is a big part of it because I'm inspired working with him every day. But also, what is as true today as it was the day we started was that everybody has a strength to share, and I see it. All the time. If I didn't see it, I think I'd get bored. But I see it whether I'm with a, you know, PR director or a chef or a community leader or a, you know, a business leader. But people, if you give them a chance, they really want to do something around an issue they care about. An issue as important as hunger. So for me, you know, it's it's really as exciting as it was, you know, from yeah. many years ago. I feel That's the same feel. way. So good to hear. Uh, my version of, of starting to recognize that I'm getting older is on these three college campuses that I mentioned last <laughs> week. Uh, at least three times, somebody, as they were walking me around, said, are the stairs okay for you, Mr. Shore? I was like, yeah, the stairs are okay. Get on the, get on the bike with me and ride 300 miles. Um, you've been listening to Ad Fashion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore, and I'm here with Spike Mendelson, George Jones, and my sister, Debbie Shore. Okay. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. 
Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.